On this episode of Industry Relations, we talk about the T3 show and embracing the prepper mindset. This is Industry Relations, a podcast that's at the intersection of real estate and technology from an insider's perspective with Rob Hahn and Greg Robertson. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is your co-host, the notorious Rob Hahn. And joining me is my guest co-host, not guest co-host, my permanent co-host, my other co-host. <laughs> I was devoted there, man. I know, the fabulous Greg Robertson. <laughs> you know, it looks like we've got a third guest here. I know, the, the, the guest host is right over there. That's yeah, nowhere. Um, you got a little puppy. This way. Yeah, that's Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Oh, yeah, the cra- craziest dog in the world. Like, <laughs> she's a wonderful dog. She's a rescue. We love her. But my gosh, you know, she's, as I like to call it, she is such a hoe for attention. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know that thing about, like, lo- dogs that are, like, loyal to you and they want to hang out with you? Like, so, okay, that part's great. But any stranger shows up at her door, she's all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. pet me. You know, there, there's none of this growling, none of this guard behavior, none of it. Like, God damn it, woman. <laughs> she is the friendliest dog in the world. So, yeah. And obviously, Lucy can't hear us. But uh, how are you? Man, I tell you, it's, uh, you know, it, it's like three, really four weeks of travel. I was, I took my you know family to spring break in, uh, in Kauai. Then that was followed up by... Inman and yep. then New York and then straight from there to Rizzo and Tucson and then last night I just got back from uh, San Antonio where I attended the T3 conference. Right. I had one of those like nightmare travel days, right? So you've been in like all four time zones is basically what you mean, right? Because Tucson's kind of mountain time yeah, zone, right? No, yeah, you've yeah. been in all four time zones. <laughs> um, so that's kind of weird to think Greg about. needs time off to for his body to adjust, you know? Dude, it's... it's uh, I don't recover as quickly as I used to from those yeah. late night Korean uh, karaoke sessions for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good thing I wasn't there because I would have gone later. <laughs> there would have been more drinking, before, which means it would have been ended later, right? Yeah, so really. Yeah. Probably look at it. Right? Exactly right. I, were you? You were there when we did the breakfast? No, I didn't. I didn't make it that long. Too. You didn't, okay, because that's yeah. I had a real good breakfast. In my younger days, it was like. Ah, it's like three in the morning. Let's just keep it going and we'll have breakfast and then go. <laughs> People are like, I have a 9 a.m. panel. <laughs> I have a 9 a.m. panel. <laughs> can't, can't do that anymore. <laughs> so, four weeks of travel. I know we've done three shows. So, I guess today's show, we might as well make it a T3 show, right? Because yeah. just got back from the gathering of, uh, you know, VIPs, very important people. Uh, but before we begin, I just have to ask, because a friend of mine who was there told me, and I haven't verified this, is it true that the, that they had playing cards of like the 52 most important people at this conference or something like that? Is that true? Oh, it's totally true. Yeah, they had, I mean, it was like, it was, it was, it was really interesting, but you know, there was, and then all of a sudden, then you kind of began to realize are, are these like, you know, the Iraq playing cars? That, that, that's what I was thinking. It's like, wait, wait, wait. You know, that immediately the first thought I had was the most wanted from the Iraq war. I'm like, did they not realize this? I might actually have like a couple. Hold on one second. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we didn't, we obviously didn't plan this because, you know, 
if for those who are just listening, Greg is off screen finding these playing cards so that uh, the those who are lucky enough to be or I guess dedicated enough to watch this on YouTube can see these playing cards. Uh, here we go. He found them. So yeah, so what I did is I, you know, I, I was like, uh, you know, being the MLS geek that I am, I, I kind of got the uh, the MLS crew, but they were all okay. like aces of okay clubs or whatever. Okay, and okay. On the side of them was you had like okay, Matt, Matt, Mr. Matt Consalvo. Ace all right, Mary Jo Cowan, ace of clubs. Um, so they're both ace of clubs. Yeah, they're all kind of whatever. I mean, just you know, just that was it. Okay. But also, other people. You and I were not on those things. I was, so I was just going to say they, they needed to because uh, we were wondering who would be the Joker in the deck, and I thought Greg <laughs> Robertson. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been on the list. <laughs> but it was kind of it was kind of clever in a sense. I'm not sure they they really thought it out to be back of like you know. What was it? The, the, the famous photos of like you know some guy yeah. with his head and the, the playing card on his uh, on his chest or something. Um, you know how they, they do it in the old old those old school photos or whatever, right? What do you mean? Or- well, like, wasn't that the whole thing? Like in the Iraq War, it was like they had all the list of the guys that they wanted. Yeah, wanted, right? yeah they had the fifty-two most wanted, and like Saddam Hussein was like ace of something, and yeah, Uday, and you know whatever other commanders. So that the troops would then know them by, you know, at first sight kind of deal. Like, that was the idea. I'm like... You just wonder, like, is every vendor going to have, like, the top MLS (laughs) on their wall with red yarn, you know, between them? That's right. That's right. Darts, you know. (laughs) All right, we got armless dart, you know. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) But, you know, one thing, they did a couple, you know, clever things. Um, I think that was kind of clever. Mm-hmm. And then um, they gave away Bitcoin. So you got this. I don't know. Okay. So verify. They, did they actually give away Bitcoin? Because I heard they gave away Shiba Inu. No, it was Shiba. I'm just. I'm, okay. I, gave, I should have said they gave away crypto. Okay. So, um, which they, and they had a, a physical representation, maybe, a you know. Yeah. And you got this little coin that they made special for it. <clears throat> and you went, you had to go to their kind of executive lounge to like get the stuff. And they said, okay, what's your email address? And I'm like, and, and, cause we've got to like, mm-hmm. you know, hook it up to your Coinbase or a Coinbase account. I'm like, well, I already have a Coinbase account. So um, I gave them the email address associated with a Coinbase account. And sure as shit, you know, a few hours later, I get an uh, a, a email alert or alert right. on my phone saying, hey, you, you have, you know, a billion Shiba or whatever the hell it was. Did they, okay, so how much Shiba did they give away? You're asking, you know, we should really plan ahead for these kind of calls. Like, nah, it's better if we don't. <laughs> I am curious. If I can get in there. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the amount matters, but I think it was just the, again, the cleverness of what, the, it's the first time I've gone to an event where they've yeah. integrated the kind of crypto um, yeah. thing into it, right? I, the reason why I mentioned is because Shiba Inu, as of right now, is trading at, uh, one, two, three, four zeros, and then a two. So what is that? Two one hundred thousandth of a penny? Yeah, hold on. So hopefully you got like a million Shiba. Well, I don't know. I mean, it was, fr- I mean, it was, I don't, you know. That would be like, 
would be like 20 cents. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> That's clever. Super clever. Yeah, where the hell is it? Send, receive. I don't know how to read this damn app. <laughs> Greg Robertson has crypto, y'all. <laughs> it's going mainstream. Yeah, I can't even, I don't even read this thing. I it's all right. They could always like post and comments and tell us like, you know, yeah, that's yeah, clever. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And then they had, um, what else they give away? Oh, um, the person that they have over there, I think her name is, is it Kelly? Who handles are kind of like uh, recruiting head on thing. Yeah, recruiting. <laughs> she they all she gave away a another deck of cards with interview questions. Oh, okay. Right, so that you can you know if you don't know what to ask, you know you can you can use this. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, you received. Uh, this is like it looks like a trillion. It's Ooh. Uh, or no, it's like a million, a million Shiba, which is a million Shiba. Yeah. So, yeah, $21.50 worth of... Right on. Good job, T3. Uh, but, I mean, the thing uh, I think that sets T3 apart from a lot of things was, first of all, the production value, right? I think they do a really good job with mm -hmm. the stage, the AV, um, um, being such a, uh, what would I say, a AV nerd a bit, because, you know, I used to be in that kind of special events business. Yep actually tweeted some of the things they were doing on stage, which I thought was kind of unique. Cool. There. Um, I think the other thing is, is that I think, you know, at, at his best, Stefan really is a good interviewer, right? He does a, a great job of kind of a lot of the research uh, into who he's talking to and, 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 and when he gets into it and when he does that thing on the kind of the, the bigger names there and he does interviews. I think he does one of the best jobs in the industry of doing those types of interviews. Um, and that's basically what the conference was. You know, we started out with a guy that had done, was co-authoring a book with the, with Jim Collins, uh, Collins, I think from the guy from good for great. And, and per, not, he wasn't really promoting, but talking about the new book they were putting out together. But then it just went inter, you know, I think it was like 16 interviews with like, uh, the heavy hitters in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that was, you know, uh, in, in the meantime, they would have, you know, uh, cocktail hours, you know, the, those types of things. Uh, yesterday, they had like a Cinco de Mayo kind of theme, even though it was, well, no, it was Wednesday. I'm getting everything mixed up. Um, but, you know, and it, you know, and it's, it's a, a, a nice, nice route of people. Everybody was kind of concerned because, I guess the way the scheduling was, um, because they had to postpone TV for two years, NAR also postponed their stuff, not having live, and mm -hmm. they had NAR mid-year at the same time as T3, which really pissed T3 off, but mm -hmm. I don't think it was done in malice. It was just scheduling conflicts. Um, and so they were really, you know, everybody was kind of concerned about who's going to show up. And there were a few, a few people that had tried to do both, Right, so they came maybe on the on the Tuesday night or something, um, but I think there was, I think when I was counting and talking to people, it was over four hundred people there. So wow, very nice. Yeah, yeah, especially given the type of. I think you have to be invited and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty. That's awesome. Yeah, and, it's awesome. And you know, they, it seems like they're growing. They've got <clears> like forty people employed there. 
mm-hmm. right? So that's mm-hmm. a kind of a big organization. I know you've worked with them in the past and mm-hmm. doing some writing for them and, and, and it's for the trends report. Yep. Um, but no, I mean, again, uh, um, I, you know, I, I probably, and I give this feedback to them, you know, they interviewed just everybody you could think of as far as the, the larger brokers, the heads of brokers, and some of the newer ones. Um, you know, I, I would have probably maybe, you know, maybe a couple interviews and then like bring up, not a motivational speaker, but like somebody, I like the first presenter that was talking about management issues. Um, and then, you know, maybe break up the interviews with some other type of content. I don't know what it is. I mean, that's just me talking. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so hard to put these free things cons- Free consulting to T3, you know, yeah. for their and, summit. And I can't, I, you know, I really can't complain yeah. because, they, again, they do, they, they do a great job. And, and uh, you know, they, 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 did, they did kind of like uh, adjust the interview thing where, you know, Stefan would do one, then Jack would do one, and some of the other staff would yeah. do other ones, right? So that was yeah. kind of interesting to see giving more, more people stage time and kind of broke up the, yeah. broke up the kind of interview style. That was yeah. cool. Um, I so, guess the one that, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just saying, like, I, I thought given that you are talking about the interviews and that seems like the main content, let's dive into that, man. Like, what, what, what you hear? Like, what's the most important takeaway for you? Start with the most important and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I think um, two things. Um, I really, the, the first one they had, the big one was with Richard Barton. Richard Barton was there at the event and uh, they, he did, Stefan did a great interview. And it was really kind of funny because they had Rich Barton and they had Glenn Stanford and both of those guys had earnings calls to do Yeah, at different times. Right. So they were like, they were fitting him in between that. Right. So, um, but it, it, it was fun. I've seen Rich be interviewed before. Um, but you know, with all the changes going on there, him talking a little bit more about the decision-making of why they kind of, you know, or what, you know, I think you and I have different opinions of, of why they shut that down, but you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, why they shut that down. But also, to me... Wait, time out. Time out. Did he go into that? Did he explain why they shut it down? More than what he's already said? No, no. It was, it was basically the same thing. It's like, you know, they just... The, the housing market was too crazy as far as the pricing and okay. all the spreadsheets went wild. Okay. And they said, I can't risk everything on this, right? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you yeah, know, kind of like I, 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 I took away from that. The first one was the. It's getting clearer to me that, and, and he, he kind of talked about you know his previous companies, and the main one being Expedia, and and I, to me, this is kind of worlds colliding. Where if you look at Expedia, it was kind of like taking over over reservation systems for hotels and you know obviously airline tickets and things like that, and. When you put that in the context, and I kind of overheard this being said as well, is with with the with the acquisition of Showing Time, it seems to me that they want to be really the rev the reservation system for real estate for showings in real estate, right? And I know we've talked about that in the context of like it's got it's almost like Uber with you know if they can get it to the point where somebody opens their super app and they want to see a house. And they click a button and say request showing, and, and an agent shows up there within 15 minutes. That's going to be pretty powerful, and I think that's a that's a little bit of their strategy because by an agent doing that, they're also agreeing that if that if that um, buyer is going to buy anything from that agent, that they're going to get a cut of it, right? So, and I think with the scale that they have, the number of people that are you know visiting the sites, 
They probably did some math on who's clicking on those buttons already. Mm -hmm. um, and the acquisition, obviously, of showing time, as I said, um, they got a pretty good shot at that, right? So um, if they can begin that process of being the first person to kind of the first entity, the first experience with that agent showing up, they probably have, I think they also feel they have a better chance at attachments of other ancillary services like mortgage and everything else they want to do. Right? Okay, yeah. so when he's talking about this, <clears throat> again, it's not like you're, there was like live reaction or anything like that, but I'm just curious. Did you get a sense of how the other attendees, because they're mostly CEOs of very large brokerage companies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, were they like, you know what I mean? Or were they like angry? Was there just no reaction? Yeah, I, I, there was not, I don't think there was a, a bigger reaction. Um, a big reaction from anybody. And again, like you said, it's not, it's not something they can do that. But then again, like what I always worry about is like you and I are always talking about this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's fresh in mind. So, you know, he had said that I'm like, Oh, you know what? That's a confirmation of what you and I have been talking about, how we think they want to Uberize mm -hmm. agents. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's been kind of a narrative out there, but not really clear in focuses as far as the contacts with, with Zillow um, and showing time. Right. Um, Another thing is like he kind of also in a passing statement, like, well, we could have this on there. We might partner with an iBuyer. We might play, but I'm like, what? What? Right, right. Partner with an iBuyer? What? Well, <laughs> I don't know if your average person is just picking up on these things. I was picking up on them. No, people are picking up. Yeah. yeah. Kevin Oakley mentioned that on one of my LinkedIn threads or whatever. So okay. it's like, oh, okay. Maybe uh, he's following my Twitter thread because I, but, I mentioned it on Twitter. <laughs> So, so interesting. Okay. So, so interesting. That, and that. He, he had some, like, he had had a, he had a Steve Jobs story um, that he mentioned also, because they launched right around the, a little bit before the iPhone. Mm -hmm. And then when, when Barton saw the iPhone and, and, and he got one for Christmas or that year, he's like, we got to be on this. And they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Zillow is one of the first apps. Yeah. One of the first apps. And then the story that he told was kind of fascinating where, when they had done some proprietary stuff to make the mapping work, and then they got a call from Apple saying, "What? how did you do this? Mm -hmm. Right? And mm -hmm. they flew a guy from Apple down there and had a talk with the team and everything else, and I guess there was kind of a mutual respect that happened after that. And then, you know, some years later, they got a call, another call from Apple, and some guy came down with a mm -hmm. case with a... With a you know, a handcuff yeah, on yeah. it and had them sign a bunch of shit in a dark room and all this fucking things. And it was, um, the, basically the prototype for the iPad. Right. And so they were one of the first ones to get because right, of, they were one of the first iPad apps. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And when he says the best moment was when they were introducing the iPad, one of the, the, one of the, I think it was either the only one or one of the things they highlighted the most Steve jobs on stage highlighted was the Zillow iPad app. Mm -hmm. He's like, he could, he's like, I, you know, where do you go from there? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 And that was kind of, a, I, lo I always love the Apple Steve jobs stories. That was a great, right. kind of a great moment. <clears throat> um, but you know, it's like, and, and then in, in the context of like super app, right. Uh, one other thing that he said is that I, I think he, he is just, he had given that the naming convention super app basically to kind of encompass the future of Zillow, right? So I think that's more of a, maybe it's not like an app, but it's more of a philosophy or more of a, a, a point to kind of go towards for okay. everybody. Here. 
So I'm, I mean, sure, it's all going to be in an app, but it was like, you know, that's that's kind of what he's um, he's kind of shooting for, I think, as far as putting this thing all together in one place of, of everything you have to do with real estate and making sure that Zillow is part of that, right? Um, to me, the, 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 the newest information I found out was like him saying, you know, partnering with an iBuyer, I thought was very interesting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that brings up, is it Open Door or is it Spencer's investment? Pad. Yeah. Is it going back to this marketplace thing that they abandoned, you know, when they first launched with? It'll be interesting to kind of see how that, well, that plays out. I, that's, that was kind of my immediate reaction because, you know, when I was saying that's super interesting, it really feels like Zillow's back to the future moment, right? It's like they abandoned iBuying and it's like back to, you know, Zillow 2016, right? Because that's how Zillow launched into iBuying in the first place. Like, we're just a marketplace, open doors on the platform, you know, a bunch of investors, you know, and I guess we're going back to that, you know? Like, what sense, else are we rolling back? <laughs> in a sense, also, I mean, he, he did kind of hit the narrative of like, when they looked at all the people they were helping with their offers program, you know, as far as the numbers, it was pretty small in their, in their world, right? You know, like you're mm -hmm. talking about 1,000, 3,000, 5,000 people, they're helping buy homes. It's like, that's, I mean, the numbers are big because, you know, your houses are, are expensive. Are expensive, sure. But really, the, the, the impact they had on a numerical basis wasn't a lot of people, right? So it's like, that was, I think, another thing. And well, it's part of their narrative of why they also was like looking, how can we affect more people? How can we scale this <coughs> a real estate experience you know, yeah. longer? Yeah. All right. So that's Zillow. That's your big takeaway. Um, any, anything cool and interesting coming from any of the big brokers, the more traditional world? No, I mean, I think it was more the same. What, what, the vibe that I definitely heard from a lot of people was, and I think this is showing up in all the trends reports, is that, you know, it, it, and we talked about it again on this blog, uh, on this podcast, and that's that the share of transactions are going to a... <laughs> the share of transactions are going to more of... Of a, of a distinct number of agents, right? In the bigger brands or the bigger teams, right? So it's not... It's, oh my, it's like, huh, I, you know, if only someone had mentioned this concentration no, of power. I mean, we've been talking about that a while, right? And like, I know, 10 some years. Of the big, some of them are focused on the big brands that are getting that or teams. Um, they also had some new companies out there like Real Brokerage, Pure, Pure mm -hmm. Center, Pure Pierside or Pearson um, okay. Partridge or something like that, uh, that were really kind of smart, some smart newbies that are coming on the scene um, that I thought was the most interesting. Mm -hmm. um, Glenn Stanford, you know, talked about their growth and, and their challenges. Um, and, you know, just the amount of, uh, you know, agents they're adopting. Um, and, you know, I, I did have a, a conversation, uh, you know, I've had a few lobby bar conversations and one of them was an EXP broker and, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's like, you know, when we're talking, you know, I like to bring up like, well, you know, it's like Keller Williams and EXP, you know, have some of the most unproductive agents out there, right? I mean, we, we all know that Redfin has the most productive with their employee model, but, you know, these guys seem to be attracting a whole lot of agents that are not, but only a small portion of those agents are actually doing real any real business. Now, it's good business, mm -hmm. but how do they feel about, you know, 
not you know these other agents, and they don't really care. It's it's just it's it's not. And I thought, well, what do you mean they don't really care? He's like you know I don't even pay attention to the I don't even pay attention to those agents. It's the unproductive ones. Yeah. Okay. But I'm like thinking, well, yeah. I mean, if I'm running a sales team and I've got a hundred people and only ten are working, and if I'm not able to kind of grow that ten to fifteen to twenty to twenty five to you know thirty to forty to fifty, I mean, I, I just I, it, I it's like they're that's the model and that's the way this thing works. Is like you're always going to have a a ninety ten or an eighty twenty thing, and that's just the way it goes. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I was also had another conversation earlier about, you know, where I think uh, the uh, Lawrence Yoon, is it Yoon? Is yeah. That, Yoon. Right? Yeah. He'd give a presentation at NAR, I heard, that says he doesn't think that the agent count's going to go down for the next couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's, I think that's a, and, you know, I talked to other, uh, other vendors about this, and, you know, we always look at NAR agent count, NAR agent count, NAR agent count. And to me, it's a little bit of a red herring because you got to think like, a lot of people in the pandemic, you know, maybe out of hospitality, got their real estate license, and they're still trying, keeping it up. And again, real estate, as we know, is very aspirational. And then this year, maybe they're, you know, you can see the jobs reports. Everybody's maybe getting back to work to something. And oh, I'll keep it. I'll keep it because it's not that expensive, really, in a lot of places, right? It's like a fucking cable subscription. Right. Places. Um, and I, I could probably see that, you know, for the next couple of years, I'll probably keep it just as like, okay, I don't know if this getting back to doing the same thing I did or something new is going to work out. So I, I would probably agree with them that it's probably, you know, agree with the, with Mr. Yoon about that, that it's not going to, the NAR membership is not going to go down much in the next year or two. But I think once people are like, okay, it's the new normal, everybody's back. I think mm-hmm. you're going to, and then along with, you know, all the other things we talked about before with the, Commission compression and everything else, that's going right. to affect things uh, dramatically. But I, I think, you know, those are really kind of pushed off a little bit, right? Um, the other, I guess the other trend there I was talking about, and this did not happen on stage because okay. Tom is very particular about the way he interviews. He doesn't like to ask, like, it's not a, it's not like a gotcha interview, right? It's not 60 minutes. It's uh, right. James Lipton, you know, inside the yeah, actor's studio. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's that kind of thing. It's not, he's not going to ask anything too controversial. Yeah. But in the, in the lobby bars and in the, in the party conversations and the hallway conversations, um, I think that last week has really brought this whole thing of, of uh, commission comp- comp- compression really to the forefront, where now are you serious? I think so. I mean, I've, I've never Dude, been. I was, I, at Inman, I was at Inman like two weeks before that. Yeah. And hardly anybody was talking about it. And at this thing, these guys were, everybody was talking about what happened. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? That's, see, that's very disappointing and shocking because this, it's not like these things are new, right? No, but I mean, you know, even uh, I, at uh, Brian Barrero's last post, uh, the, the monster under the bed. And he's basically saying that, you know, a lot of us are just basically, we know the stuff is going on, but you're whistling through the graveyard. It's just like, right. oh, this might happen, this might not happen, but it seems like shit's turning around. I mean, it's not unusual for us. We're geeks in this. You know, yeah. It's not, it hasn't no. started to seep out, but it's, I, this is the first indication that I think it's most. Okay. okay. I, I hear you. All I'm saying is, look, I mean, the message that I've been saying for the last five years basically is this is not something for the rank and file agent on the ground 
to be right. thinking about, worried about. This is not something for your managing broker of a local office to think about. But man, you're near the C-suite, like your CEO of a major national company, your CEO of a big MLS or a big realtor association. Like, I'm sorry, th this is your job. You know, your job is to pay attention to this stuff and think about it so that your people don't have to. Right. So I guess part of me is glad that they're at least now finally coming around to be like, holy shit, I better think about this. I'm a little like, what? Like, you know, that you, you didn't do it for the last, you know, four or five years. Like, okay. I mean, better late than never. <clears throat> better late than never. I guess that's how I'll put it. Like, I get that. I mean, but, you know, from. I wrote this down here somewhere, but I try to keep with me. Yeah, get close to the mic there a little bit. Yeah, sorry. I'm just. Usually have this. Usually yeah, right now, Greg is leafing through some papers. Yes. Like a, well, yeah. it's just if you're a franchisor, if you're running a franchise, I mean, there are different things that you're kind of like focused on, right? Agent growth, sure. attachment rates, and auxiliary services, sure. and everything else, your brand promotion. You know, it's like it, that's a whole different world, okay? But you know, let, let's get down to like, okay, but you're one of the the branch uh, district manager or regional manager. Then I think you kind of get into it. So maybe because there's a lot of both of those people at this kind of event, more than like an inman, which is like mm -hmm. a lot of vendors and a lot of other kind of like you know, yeah, agents and such, agents yeah. or whatever. You're not, maybe maybe that was the ring. I'm finally in a, in a room where people that should care about it ha are are actually caring about it. Okay, okay. So, so, so maybe it's just maybe it's just audience selection rather mm -hmm. than <clears throat> all right. No, that that's better. And then I right. the other news that dropped during that thing was, um, and a few of us got a little bit of a heads up. Mm -hmm. um, was the Black Knight being acquired yeah. by Ice? Right. Right. And at first, it's like I, I almost chuckled. Like, okay, this seems to be like just financial financial institution buying another financial. Who big? Who who cares? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I remember making some jokes. Okay, well, you know, some conspiracy theorist is going to come up with something where this is really going <laughs> to And it took a couple days, but, um, you know, now I'm starting to read some articles on yeah. different sites of like, and, I, you know, honestly, I'm, it's funny because being in real estate on the, on the residential side, um, and then when I, you know, I talk to mortgage people, we're, I just don't know that world very well, and they don't yeah. know this world very well. So yeah. I don't, I can't speak accurately to, yeah, um, you know, how big a deal is this? What yeah. securities versus a spot? Um, you know, the the commodity commoditization of this, and and uh, and things like that. But there's a lot of smart people are looking at this, saying, "Wow, this is this is a big acquisition, um, and it's going to mean a lot to real estate." Um, and I know that. Their MLS division is a small part of the company, but you know, this is just going to the consolidation continues. The acquisitions keep keep continuing. Everybody's for sale is that type of thing. Mm -hmm. so, um, and anything that happens in the MLS space, something like this, where a a you know like CoreLogic got acquired, Black Knight got acquired for thirteen point one billion. Uh, there's going to be some consternation, right? Whether it's it's um, I want to say warranted or not, right? So I think um, I'm not smart enough. I think this is going to be a great, great subject. Yeah. For further another podcast where yeah. we can get somebody on here that's smarter than me that can explain it to me like I'm a five year old, so that we can get everybody else around it to like 
really suss out whether this is means anything at all. Yeah, or not. no, I think that would be a great idea, and I think we're trying to set that up. Bring somebody on who could really speak knowledgeable about the ICE, you know, versus uh, Black Knight and sort of mortgage lending technology. Because I mean, I read the announcement and I was like, okay, I guess you know, good for Black Knight. Thirteen billion seems high considering that Core Logic was only going for around six and a half. Uh, but then again, CoreLogic doesn't have some of the mortgage software piece, which was, I thought, the crown jewel of the Black Knight thing. But who knows? Let, let's bring let's bring people on who are much more yeah. knowledgeable about that world and we'll yeah, get into it. Yeah, we'll say get into it. Stay tuned for that because I think we're going to have the right people on that that podcast to come. Right. So let's to, uh, take a step back. Given that those are your top three takeaways, uh, and you know, again, man, like we, you and I are both veterans of the conference circuit, so we know that all of the important conversations happening, you know, in the lobby, right, or at the bar. So generally speaking, now that you have spent basically a month back to back to back to back with pretty much the leadership of the industry, <clears throat> you know, one way or another, in different aspects. What do you think the leadership of the industry is paying attention to these days? I think um, paying attention to. I think right. that these lawsuits are definitely getting into everybody's into their skin. Okay. Right? I think there, there's a lot of paranoia still. I think um, a lot of people are kind of thinking, "Well, I thought I had five. I thought I had eight years. Maybe I only have five. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. in, in the current structure that things are at, right? Right. Um, I, I, in the past, I would think people thought that we're going to get out of this somehow like we always do. I think the needle is turned and it's like it's not on that optimistic side anymore. Mm -hmm. It's fallen a little bit below that. Not all, not if it was, if it was like maybe it was 70% we're going to get out of this. It's now like 48% we're not. Right? Okay. So okay. I've lost all kind of confidence there um i think we're starting to see some of the fatigue on you know this this initial knee-jerk reaction of i think i got to take over and do my own tech i think people are starting to like mm -hmm. oh man this is a lot more difficult than i thought okay. you're talking about brokerages specifically huh you're talking about brokerages specific, specifically? I think brokerages and MLSs, right? Okay. MLSs have been in this, right? <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, and it's like they got into it like over a year ago, and now you want to see something come out, but haven't really seen a lot of big things being announced. And I think it's um, it's just, again, people are getting fatigued uh, and knowing that, well, this isn't as, I'm just going to you know hire a few developers and get this thing going, right? It's just an mm -hmm. ongoing slog. So I think we're going to see some, Probably, I don't. I don't want to say walkbacks, but you know, just some 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 real soul searching of like, okay, now that we get this, you know, now we now we understand this a bit more. Maybe we're going to scale back, right, right, just our narrative or anything right. else. So well, so on that point, were either uh, the CEO of Keller Williams or um, or Robert Refkin from Compass were, were they on stage or were they one of the sixteenth? So um, Refkin wasn't there, but um, that the new guy Carl, mm -hmm. yeah, um, from KW, from KW was talking. Yeah, did um, he kind of seem like he was walking that back? You know, that whole KW, we're now a tech company thing. You know what I'm saying? There was a lot of. I mean, Stefan again was not. <clears throat> yeah, I know he's not challenging like that. Not challenging but. like that, right? I mean, but you know, um, 
I will say that, you know, my company, Lone Wolf, got a lot of plugs from a lot of people up there um, saying, you know, that they're starting to integrate, you know, yeah, yeah. More, um, along with some other kind of others like Moxie. Yeah, yeah. That. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we just announced a deal with Howard Hanna and they're, they're a shareholder in Moxie. Mm-hmm. Yet they've implemented like our zip forms and our mm-hmm. boost and other things. So it's like you can say, you know, it does work out where it's like it's one solution doesn't fit everybody, right? So mm-hmm. seeing an amalgam of things happening out there. Um, but then there's other people like who was it? Um, oh, yeah, app properties. Mm-hmm. Still staunchly, we make our own tech. We make mm-hmm. it's all integrated. Um, another one again. I, I got to remember the guy's name, but Pierce Pearson. Um, another brokerage, they, okay. they're, they're, they firmly, a technology company, they build their own stuff. And they're very proud of that. Um, but, you know, again, I, especially in the forms business, I mean, it's, there's some things you should take on and some things you should just leave to somebody who can leverage, you know, doing it for a lot of different people. Yeah. Uh, what else? All right. <clears throat> I was just curious, like, so you think the industry leadership as a whole, there's, they finally started paying attention to the lawsuits, commission compression, yeah. Department of Justice, FTC, all of that. But they're at the early stage, so they just started paying attention. They're just starting, in other words, not, it doesn't sound like any of them have a strategy. In other words, it's not like you saw some CEO get up and say, hey, you know, this commission lawsuit is coming, so here's what we're doing, here's how we're thinking about it, here's the strategy. It's nothing like that. Yeah, and, and what I told them when I, cause I was asked a lot about this question, I mean, what do you think? Yeah. And I just, I, I hearken back to our last podcast where I think what you and I came to, which was a great yeah. conclusion, was like, try not to get too caught. If you want to just like think about a high level thing right now, what to do, right? How to plan. And um, it was exactly like, what if you have half the agents you have right, right? And I think, forget about commission compression, forget about other things, like, what would your business model look like if you only had half the agents you have right now? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great, and then, you know, and I got a lot of head nodding on that, and I think, mm-hmm. um, thinking, looking back to what, you know, you and I talked about last time, how we came to that together, um, I think that's good advice for a lot of people. If they can just start there, um, I think that's a good place. And then start getting into, okay, what does that comprise? How many of those are buyer agents? Yeah. Um, are those agents more productive than they were in the past? Probably yes. Mm-hmm. So there's some, some positives and negatives, but I think if you start from that thing, just to, if you're going to start your planning process, just do that. Um, and you're, you're exactly right. I mean, um, you know, one thing I, I get more educated on is from your standpoint, I mean, I never look at this from a, well, I'll, I'll, I'll segue a little bit later, but you know, it is criminal that, you know, these guys are leaders. These guys are running businesses. They should be, they, everybody should have a plan. Right. And, um, I think you're, you're exactly right on that. I mean, and I know you, you consult a lot with people to kind of come up with those plans and that's a good thing. But the other thing I thought about, again, I'm the vendor guy, right? So mm-hmm. how do I, and I, I almost hesitate to say this cause I don't want to give away too much. Like I, I think these are good nuggets and I want to keep it to myself, but I can't help myself. But <laughs> to me, you know, there's the famous, that famous quote, right? From Gretzky. You want to you want to skate to where the puck is, right? And right now, I see the way things are going, and I think everybody's knows we know where the fuck is puck is going right now, right? That's it's right. Be a world where there's going to be this commission comp- um, compression, buyer agents are going to need to come up with a way of really validating themselves. Yeah. 
And that's not going to happen next year. It's not going to even happen the next year after, but it's going to happen. Yep. What a fucking opportunity for a vendor that if who can peer into the future and know that future now. What can I build today? Right. What what kind of infrastructure can I put in place? Right. Is it, it you know? Hey, it takes five years to build a business anyway. Really, to get it right. back. If right. I start building today on that that vision of the future for this space, oh my god. Right. Right. But the, the, but you know this, and I know this, right? The challenge is, are you willing to take the risk? Right. Right. Because it, it is a risk, but it's I, a I, risk. But it's you know it's it's you know. There's still going to be, I, I think, even without the lawsuits and everything, I think commission compression is going to happen, right? Potentially. I mean, there's all sorts of different things. But my po- I think my generic point is, and there's two sides to this. One is, you know, you, you look at everything, you think about it, and you go, okay, I think I know where the puck is going to go, right? So you're going to make bets based on that, right? You could be wrong, and that's the risk. Yeah. But an equally bigger risk, in my opinion, is to not do anything and thinking the puck's going to go in this direction. So I don't need to do anything. And then the puck does go. It's, it's equally the same. In other words, I think the mistake is thinking that it's a big risk to start building infrastructure in, in, in anticipation for where the puck is going to be. Right? Like if you're going to do that, then you should, your decision to stay put, to stay pat and do nothing different should be based on the same type of risk. Cause you're, it's the same risk. Do you know what I mean? In a real way. It's not like you're going, well, we're going to spend $10 million in developing this new software stack that's going to be based upon this notion of a new commission model, right? You say, well, we're not going to take that risk. That's too risky. Okay, you saying that is actually taking the risk. (laughs) That the puck's not going to end up there. Either path is a risk. Either path is a risk. And I think one of the most important things for C-suite executives to take away is that not acting is acting. Yeah. And I think it's something MLS boards of directors in particular really need to internalize because they don't. They talk it like, you know, you go to CMLS, you go to all, and you hear all these panels get like, oh, we must act, we must innovate, we must, yeah, okay, you guys talk the good game. And then when it comes time for your board to make a decision, nine times out of 10, they're like, let's just wait and see. Let's wait and see. And my point is wait and see is like you're taking a $10 million bet. Right. right? I, I don't know how else to convey that. But I'm glad to know that at least some of the you know leadership is starting to recognize that it's not acting is acting. It's a really big risk, right? Yeah, and and this goes back, and I always uh, you know maybe we're beating a dead horse here, but this we goes are back to your co-star report, right? Right. Andy Florence is making a bet on this. Bet. Yep. Right. Uh, he's he's looking in, the, in his crystal ball. He's saying, oh, if this happens, I could if this model changes. This I'm going to set something up for that kind of future, right? Right. Um, and it, you know, because he knows the other risk is like, okay, work from home is happening. I'm primarily making all my money on fucking real estate. That's right. Um, I could just stay here and just hope it comes back, but hope is not a fucking strategy, right? Nope. So they're going to make that thing um, come hell or high water. They're making a risk. They're making a they're making a choice there, right? right. Taking, but as you said, it's not even. It's just. They're choosing one risk over another. That, that's exactly it, right? And I think, I think maybe that's the big takeaway. It's like not acting is acting. Yeah. You know, this idea that, well, we're just going to wait and see. Wait and see is not wait and see, right? Wait and see is you're placing $10 million in the other direction, right? You just don't know that. It doesn't, it's not as obvious, right? It's the exact same thing as like, 
people who are, you know, here, maybe this is the way to think about it. <clears throat> you know, there are a bunch of folks who are out there looking at home prices and they're like, well, I'm going to wait and see, you know, I'm not going to buy right? because I think the, the home prices are unsustainable, right? We know a, a lot of consumers make that decision. My take on it is you are taking a risk right now, right? That you're betting that home prices will come down. And if you're wrong, you may never own a home. Right, no, totally. And, it's the exact same logic. You know, and it's funny because I just, um, I was just talking about this with somebody else. And um, you know Mark uh, Dickow, right, from SFAR? Yeah, yeah. There? So he posted something on Facebook, a graphic of talking about, like, okay, what did your decision of, like, not buying a home last year versus waiting for this year? What did that right. look like? Well, last year, a $400,000 loan on a house, right, was yep. at 0.1%, which meant your kind of uh, principal and interest would be, like, $1,700. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. saw, I saw that chart. Yeah. I think yeah. it's from NAR. Yeah. Yeah. And then this year, yeah, exactly. It's from NAR. This year, the mortgage rate is 5.1%. Right. Right, and the house that you were looking at last year is four hundred eighty thousand dollars. That's right. And now you have basically a fifty-five percent cost increase in waiting in waiting that year. That's right. I mean, it's just a it's a crazy. It's a risk. Process. Choosing not to buy now is a risk, right? Just like buying is a risk. It's all risk. And then, so as a result, I think. I think the approach that you have to take is no matter what you do or don't do is a risk. So let's at least take the risk with our eyes wide open. Right. You know what I mean? If you say, you know what, I'm not going to buy now. That's fine. Do it eyes wide open, knowing that this is the risk you're taking. And that's cool. Then you can't bitch about it later. You can't be complaining about it's crazy home prices or whatever, you know, trying to blame realtors or whatever it is that you're going to do. Like, no, you, you made that decision eyes wide open. Same right. thing with brokers or MLS or tech companies. Like, okay, here's various different paths. We see all of it. Here's kind of my assessment. So therefore, I'm going to take this risk of not doing anything right now. Right. So doing eyes wide open. You know. Yeah. And then what that comes to is like, where is where is the point of no return? Right. I mean, where where is it where you're like, okay, I think I have. You know, some, some MLSs, some brokerages, some franchisers might say to themselves, all right, it hasn't really flushed out enough where I can say, um, I'm not, yes, I know I'm not, I'm taking a risk by not making the decision now, but I think I have six mm -hmm. months, a year or whatever, mm -hmm. to, like still ascertain to see what it's, it's going to look like. I don't want to act too soon either, right? That, that in itself could be a bad strategy. That's right. What, what's, your, what's your thought about that? How much time do people have to either fish or cut bait here on, on this kind of thing? I, I think there's obviously, there's no such thing as a general rule as something like that, right? It's very specific to a particular company, your balance sheet, you know, well, all, all sorts of things. Well, right? for NAR, NAR could, could announce tomorrow that they're going to, they're going to take away the, the commission and compensation, split that mm -hmm. from MLS, right? I mean, they could, they could in some sort of like proactive thing to say, Hey, let's just start now. It's going right. that way. But I mean, I don't think they're going to do that because I no. think everybody has this kind of timeline of like when they're going to make that decision to, to right. make a decision, right? Right. And so I think, so it's not a matter of that. So I think the more important issue, the more important point, because it's something I've been stressing in my presentations, right? In my consulting work is as a result, the most important thing you can then develop is flexibility. Right? And 
sort of adaptability. In other words, you don't know, right? So you make a $10 million bet. So let's, let, let's put it differently. It's one thing for Zillow to make a $10 million bet, right? That's, that's a pretty small, that's chump change. It's another thing for them to make a billion dollar bet, right? Similarly, for a brokerage that it's one thing to make a million dollar bet or a $10 million bet versus a $100 million bet, depending on how large you are, right? If you're a small independent, you can't make a $10 million bet. That's to, to make a $10 million bet, you're mortgaging your house and you know, right? you're taking on massive, massive risk. So I think that's going to be all up to the individual kind of thing. But then what that implies then for me is you've got to figure out, okay, like how nimble can I be? Because I don't know what's going to happen. So let's say I make this bet, right? Okay. If that turns out to be the wrong bet, can I get out of it? Yeah. Right. And this is kind of the whole co-star thing that you brought up, which is co-star yeah. saying, okay, fine. I see this coming. I'm going to make this humongous, humongous bet. But at the end of the day, man, how much does CoStar really spend today, right? right? Couple hundred million, okay? Okay, that's a sizable bet. But CoStar, when they made the bet, was a $35 billion company, right? It's not even 10%. Yeah. So it's, it's more like 1% to 2%. So it, you know, if you sort of translate that to like a normal people, Say you're a brokerage and you know you do whatever 1.2 million a year in revenues. I mean, like a nice, it's a decent business. All right, what's ten, what's one to two percent of your budget? What's one to two percent of your value, right? And say, you know what, I'm gonna place a fifteen thousand dollar bet on this thing, whatever this thing is, right? If that works out, I'm gonna add more to it, right? If it's not working out, how much can I get back, right? Can I sell whatever I developed or can I? do this or can I do that and get out? But like, it's, it's all that risk analysis. My main point is like, especially MLSs, but they don't think about a lot, <clears throat> or let me put it differently. I feel like MLS CEOs think about this a lot. I don't know that MLS board leadership thinks about this a lot. Right. They pay lip service to the idea of nimbleness and flexibility, and, but they don't, they don't really have that, right? And that, those are the things that I'll be talking about. If I'm a company, if I'm a brokerage, you got to think about how nimble could we be, right? Uh, if something drastic happens, how long would it take, if you're a broker, let's say you're Remax, right? You're a large Remax franchisee, not the franchise, right? You're a large Remax broker, let's say you have a thousand agents, right? Something happens, the question that I would be asking, how quickly can you pivot, right? So then that requires looking at, okay, what's my training situation? What's my education situation? Who are my managers? What's my technology? How long would it take to convert over from a commission-based system to a hourly-based system, right? And if the answer is, it's going to take you three years, you're probably dead. Yeah. So the answer's got to be, what do we then have to do to make that transition period be more like 90 days, right? And then invest in that today. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's... You know, one thing I'm, you know, two things I can think of is like, you know, just, you know, put your smartest guy in a room for three weeks and have him come up with a condition yeah. or hire somebody like you or somebody yeah. else. Hey, yeah. I'm going to spend, you know, 50 grand on this right. thing for just to have a, a book That's with right. a book in case this happens. That's right. Number two is like, if we all know it's going to be buyers, buyers agents are going to have to like, um, justify themselves. Okay. Let's build as much content, start building as much content right now yep. on why buyers agents are important. Let's 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 train our agents yep. to come up with buyer contracts. 
yep. buyer, buyer, buyer agreements right. that they put into their natural sales sales kind of thing. So it just becomes a natural process. Right. So that when this thing does flip, it's like, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. I've always got a buyer contract before I work with my buyers anyway. Right. right. So there's, you know, there's things I think you're right um, that they're that are not. I don't want to say easy, but you know, are are some things they can do without even that are not going to hurt them. No. It's not going to be hurt for you to plan ahead. It's not going to. It's not going to hurt for your your buyers agents to kind of start implementing con- agreements yeah. and, and and having all the the arsenal, the more arsenal to, to justify, you know, what what they're worth. Um, yeah. Not at all. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's the it's the my thing for the last few years is just prepper mindset. Like embrace the prepper mindset. Yeah. yeah exactly. You know. And I try to say it's not about like guns and you know having food storage. Although that's not a bad idea as an individual level. Jesus. Right, the corporate equivalent of right. Hey, if power goes out for three weeks, can you survive? You know, how flexible are you? What do you have? It's that sort of thinking, and it's the mindset, right? Um, and I think that's that's the main challenge. Like, if if you're a C level executive in real estate today, with all the volatility, all the chaos, the number one thing you have to think about is how nimble am I? How flexible am I? And in the the technical terms, how anti fragile am I in my organization? Right and. I, again, you don't you don't gotta hire me to do like go go talk to T three. I mean, you're just a T three event. Go talk to those guys, right? Go talk to whoever, and just do some sort of anti fragility assessment and figure out how nimble am I, right? And if you don't have the right people in in place, you don't have the right tech in place, right? Evaluate your tech vendors that way, right? You know, like you should be asking Lone Wolf, hey, if something happens, how quickly can you guys switch things up, right? And if the answer is like, well, see, unfortunately, our code is written into uh, a6 and uh, it's really difficult to change find a different vendor versus the vendor says oh no we're we're uh, you know rapid uh, deployment we are you know agile shop and if something happens we could turn it on we could get something new pushed out in two weeks like those are the partners you want today you know yeah. that sort of thing well, anyway i know i think to wrap up to me i would just say you know great job stefan Mm-hmm. And Jack and, you know, all the people at T3 for, for a great conference. And um, it's just, you know, it's great to get in front of people face to face. And as you say, get in those hallway and lobby bar conversations and stuff, a lot of this stuff out. I think um, I think things are going to progress a lot more because these things are happening with getting the right. You know, you see the groups of people getting together and sharing ideas. I heard the green room for these events with all the major players yeah. in the getting on stage was was some pretty lively conversation but um great job and um uh thanks again to stefan and 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 jack and team right on so with that we're going to wrap up uh hey if you've listened to us uh this whole way through we really really appreciate you uh spending some time with us. Uh, if you listen to us on audio, consider coming over to YouTube, finding us at Industry Relations Podcast, and subscribing and giving us a like so we could spread our word far and wide. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to see Lucy. So And we get to see Lucy. She's a little off camera. Next time I'll try to think about bringing her. And uh, Greg, uh, thanks uh, for you know spending four weeks on the road, World Warrior style, so you could be our agent in the field. But uh, congrats on not having to do that for a bit. So we'll talk next week, um, and we'll see what the topics are. But I think we're going to try real hard to get dig into this uh, Black Knight Ice yeah. thing, unless something else pops, because something else could pop in between. You know, who knows? We are fluid and flexible, anti fragile at this show. We can adjust. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, everyone.